You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. So I want to offer an alternative, especially for those who are attracted to the ethical teachings of Jesus, but who rightly have no tolerance for the evangelical Christian belief in a literal, eternally burning hell. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 389. Our title this week is Social Justice, Jesus, and Hell. And our reading is from the Gospel of Mark, Mark 9, 38 through 50. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus. Jesus said, For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, for it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. So there's a lot in this week's reading to unpack. And first, this week's passage is connected to the debate among Jesus scholars about whether or not the historical Jesus actually believed he was the Messiah, and and the ways that Christians have long used that title for Jesus in damaging and destructive ways toward the, the Jewish community. Second, the passage references a curse <clears throat> against those who cause little ones to stumble. And this title could apply to children. Uh, the, the children are the most subjugated and marginalized population in many of our social systems. And yet, I think that limiting this phrase only to children, that enables those who benefit by oppressive systems to escape the scrutiny of this passage as well. In truth, children in first century Mediterranean societies, they lived at the bottom of the political, economic, and social hierarchical system. And we have to ask whether Jesus simply loved children and this Thus, he spoke in their defense, or, or whether he stood in solidarity with all who were at the bottom of their social structures and all those who are pushed to the edges or margins of his society, uh, of which children, again, were the foremost. If the second option is right, then this passage warns 
everyone who structures society to push some people to the bottom or edges and those who make life even more difficult for those on the bottom or edges after they've been pushed there. So there's there's a lot to ponder here. But third, this passage uses the deeply ableist language about entering into the kingdom maimed or crippled or having one eye, to quote the passage. Uh, this is more than a translation problem, and it's more than, than language that was once acceptable falling out of vogue. It has always been damaging to deem people with disabilities as less than abled people. And Jesus's overt argument is that righteous disabled people are better off than unrighteous abled people. And passages that provide a subtext of a hierarchy, those passages lead us into territory of interpretations that are ableist. I, I think we can do better than this today. We don't have to repeat ableist language as we tell the Jesus story. We can also find, I think, better ways to tell the story than to imply that anyone is inferior because of their, their differences. And, and lastly, there are verses about being thrown into or going to hell. And I, I want to be very clear here. I reject the common evangelical doctrine of eternal torment, including a belief in a literal, eternally burning hell. If we take all the descriptions of a post-mortem hell that we find in the scriptures, they are filled with internal incongruencies and uh, contradictions just within themselves, let alone within, uh, in comparison with each other. So I want to offer an alternative, especially for those who are attracted to the ethical teachings of Jesus, but who rightly have no tolerance for the evangelical Christian belief in a literal eternally burning hell. So first, the language that the Gospels used here, they that language would not have conjured a vision of post-mortem eternal torment for the original Jewish audience. The word translated into English as hell is the word Gehenna, and that word already had a history and an association for Mark's original Jewish audience. Gehenna is the Greek form of the Hebrew or Aramaic Aramaic uh, Valley of Gehenna, or, or 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 son of Hinnom. It 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 named a valley on the south and the east of Jerusalem, which was was so called from the cries of the the little children who were thrown into the fiery arms of Moloch there. And if you'd like more information on that. I'll reference uh, Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament. Uh, and you can read stories about Gehenna in 2 Chronicles 28, 1-4, 2 Chronicles 33, verse 1, and Jeremiah 7, 31-32. In the Hebrew Scriptures, Gehenna evolves from the location of horrific atrocities towards children to the symbol of the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem at the hands of a foreign Gentile power. And I want you to consider these examples. In Jeremiah 19, 1 through 7, Thus said the Lord, Go and buy a potter's earthenware jug. Take with you some of the elders of the people and some of the
the senior priest and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I'm going to bring such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me, have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom they neither whom they nor their ancestors uh, 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 nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and gone on building the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it even enter my mind. Therefore, the days are sorely coming, says the Lord. Sorry, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when this place shall no longer be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will make them fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air, and to the wild animals of the earth. In Jeremiah 17.27, it had said, but if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortress. In Isaiah 34, 9-10, we read, Edom's streams will be turned to pitch, her dust into burning sulfur. Her land will become blazing pitch. It will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will rise forever. From generation to generation, it will lie dust and no one will ever pass through it again. In Isaiah 30, 31 through 33, we read, The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With his rod, he will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing club will be to the music of timbrels and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. His topheth, and remember that's the valley of Hinnom or Gehenna, has long been prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like the stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. And lastly, Isaiah 66, 22-24, As the new heavens and the new earth that I will make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your name and descendants will endure. For from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. They will be loathsome to all mankind. So Jeremiah uses the phrase unquenchable fire to refer to destruction by an outside empire. Isaiah uses the language of Assyria's Topheth, or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, or Gehenna, and focuses on events that are happening not in post-mortem realities, but in this life. So, in light of this, both Jeremiah's language of eternally burning fire and Isaiah's language of worms not dying, which is actually quoted in this week's reading from 
from Mark's gospel. They are highly metaphorical and, and, and though not to be taken literally, still taken seriously. These prophetic warnings about Gehenna, remember they pointed to Gentile empires destroying people in this life, not after death. And this destruction was consistently threatened as punishment for things like systemic injustice, for oppression, uh, violence done to the vulnerable and the marginalized. And no wonder then it was to be taken so seriously. And it, it makes sense that Jesus would use this language taken from his Hebrew scriptures to speak to those who cause little ones to stumble. It's also quite possible that the author of Mark used this language to be connected to, to the destruction of Judea and Jerusalem by the Roman Empire in the first century. And again, Jerusalem was being destroyed by a foreign Gentile power at that time. I'll end this week with some thoughts on Jesus's command uh, not to forbid people outside of his own disciples and followers from doing things in his name, just because they were not part of the community of Jesus's disciples didn't mean they were to be stopped. I, I want to go a step further, though, this week. Within the Jesus story, we find universal values that have proven life-giving. And these values and ethics are in many more cultures and religions than mere Christianity, including those with no connection to the historical Jesus whatsoever. I want to encourage Christians to honor those traditions and those values because of their intrinsic life-giving quality. I'm reminded of a statement that we at Renewed Heart Ministries shared as a meme a few weeks ago. It's from uh, John Dominic Crossan and, and Marcus Borg in their book, The Last Week, What the Gospels Really Teach About Jesus' Final Days in Jerusalem. They write, there was an ancient prophetic tradition in which God insisted not on justice and worship, but on justice over worship. God had repeatedly said, Said, I reject your worship because of your lack of justice, but never, ever, ever I reject your justice because of your lack of worship. So for, for me, it's not about making sure that we attach Jesus as a label to things, but, but that I value those things the Jesus of the Jesus story has taught me in my life. And these things are valuable to me. Not merely because uh, Jesus taught them, but because I've experienced their intrinsic fruit for myself. Again, I don't believe these things are valuable simply because Jesus taught them. Instead, I believe Jesus taught them because they were intrinsically valuable. And we can honor these values when we see them in others without trying to make them somehow Christian or, or so worthy of our approval. We can simply honor the good they do in our world. And something is good, remember, based on the kind of fruit it produces, whether it's life-giving or death-dealing. And that fruit is either enough of an argument in its favor just in itself, or it's a sign of something that it's time for us to leave behind. Heart Group application this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, however one interprets Jesus's words on Gehenna, how does Jesus's teachings on social justice 
justice impact your own Jesus following? Discuss that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.